This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Go ahead and go in your Bibles to the book of Genesis in the second chapter. We're going to continue in our series on marriage this morning as we're surrendering the area of marriage to the Lord as we're surrendering it to Him and saying, God, not my will, but Your will. We're saying that, God, Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so we cannot allow popular culture to dictate the order of what God has established. We can't allow what someone may say, oh, well, this is, this is what is popular in culture, and this is what the way things are going. You've got to get with the times, man. You've got to get with what's going on. And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, this, I'll change what I believe because what I used to believe isn't popular anymore. No, no, no. We cannot allow what's popular to dictate the order of what God has established. So what we're going to talk about this morning is the order in marriage that God has established in His Word that we can see clearly in His Word. You see, God established marriage, so He gets to say how it goes. God established this union between a man and a woman, so it's His way because it's His idea. It's not, oh, it's God's idea, and we get to kind of, you know, make our own rules about it. No, God set order in the home, and the reason He gave us order is not to bring about control in our lives, not to bring about manipulation in our lives. The reason God gave us order in our marriage, and God gave us uh, order in the roles that we have as a husband and a wife, is because this is going to best reflect Him. This is going to best glorify Him because the marriage is ultimately supposed to glorify God and bring glory to Him. And He says, this is the way to bring me glory. This is the way that you're going to operate in peace. This is the way you're going to operate in the most effective sense of joy. A lot of people come to me and they say, Pastor, pray that I'll have peace in my home. Pray there will be peace in my home. There, there's just no peace in my home. I can pray for you to have peace. And I believe that God will give you the peace that passes your understanding, that guards your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. He declares that in His Word, and we know that to be true. But if you want to continue to grow in peace and you want peace to be established in your home, you have to follow God's order. Because when we follow God's order and God's way, it's going to actually benefit us. And so when we actually say, okay, God, not my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to align with what you say, then I begin to experience those things that I just wanted God to sprinkle me with fairy dust on. Because a lot of times that's what we look at prayer as. Okay, I'm going to pray and God's just going to pixie dust my wife and she's going to wake up and want to just make out with me in the morning. And that's why it's just going to fix everything, right? As to where she didn't want you to touch her the night before. No, that's not what prayer does. That's not the purpose of prayer, okay? And so God is just going to come and grant your three wishes. That's not the purpose of prayer. So we, we have to understand that if we want God's best in our lives because God wants His best for you, that it's going to ultimately, number one, bring glory to Him. And so for it to bring glory to Him, we have to do it His way. And so we're saying, God, not, your, not, not, not what's popular, not what may be something that is brought about uh, it, through the, the government or the media to try to reorder what God has established or all these different movements that have come about in, in, in America where we've seen these different movements try to redefine for us what the family is or, or, or what the order of the home is. Let me tell you something, folks. When we believe that above God's Word, then we're saying, okay, the government must be smarter than God. And we notice that there's chaos and that the moral, the moral fiber of our society begins to weaken and begins to break and begins to crumble. Why? 
Because we're stepping outside of God's intention. Because we're stepping outside of God's order that's going to bring Him the most glory. We have to get that. That If, if, if we want to see God's best in, in our lives, it's not just about, oh, I'll follow this principle and follow that principle. No, what we do in our lives has to bring glory to Him. Amen. And the only way things in our life are going to bring glory to God is if we say, God, what do you want to do about this in my life? How do I need to trust you? Even if it's not popular. Even if it's not the way that maybe the, the, the media is going or the way that what's, uh, what you read in uh, you know, a book one time or what you heard Dr. Phil say one time. What does God say about it? So what we're going to do is we're going to look to the Word of God for the biblical order in marriage. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. Hopefully you're already there. Genesis 2, we're going to look at verse 18. The Bible says this, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now I want you to stop right there and notice that word. There was not a helper that was comparable to him. Somebody say comparable. Okay, so there was not a helper that was comparable to him. We have to understand that what we're about to see is the creation of man and then the creation of woman and that God didn't say, let me make somebody that's not as good as him, kind of the second grade version of man, you know, the bulk rate version of man, the, the, the clearance discount aisle, uh, you know, version of man, and let's call her woman, you know. We'll, we'll give her a couple of extra letters to her name and that'll make her feel special. That's not what God said. God said, I'm going to make him a helper that is what? Comparable. Someone that is comparable, someone that's going to compliment, someone that's actually going to help and uh, bring, bring about a completion uh, of this creation of man. So, uh, verse uh, 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. God took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, this is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we talked about that last week. And I hope that you uh, uh, were able to access the elements notes if you kind of followed up on that study, and I also issued a challenge last week that I wanted you to read through Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and I want you to do that every night and pray for one another and begin to discuss what that means because that's really setting us up for the biblical roles of what God says because here's the thing. Husbands and wives are equal in importance and they're, co and they're complementary in their roles. We are supposed to complement and to help one another in the roles that God has called us to. So God's not a male chauvinist, and God's not a feminist either. Those are both very selfish ideas, and they're very wrong ideas in the eyes of God that would want to compete with one another. Sometimes people think, oh, God's just a male chauvinist, you know. I mean, I mean, come on, what's the deal? Where, where's the women, you know? Uh, God's not a male chauvinist. You can read all throughout Scripture. You can see he's also not a feminist because those are ideas that man came up with. Those are ideas that, that are competing ideas that man and woman came up with that are constantly at one another, okay? We have to understand that we are supposed to be equal in importance and complementary in our roles. I heard a minister say one time years ago, and it's always kind of stuck with me because it, it was one of those rhyming things that, you know, sometimes preachers say that you go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good, and uh, kind of set it to a little bit of a cadence and a, a rhythm there. He said that someone that doesn't uh, complete you is going to compete with you. 
And I was like, oh, snap. And I was like, really? Started thinking about that. Oh, man, that's exactly what happens in marriage. That's exactly what happens in our relationship with one another. When we don't look at one another as someone that is completing us, then we're competing with one another. We're competing for popularity. We're competing for uh, spiritual dominance in the home who can be the most spiritual. Oh, well, you know, I'm so much more spiritual than you because look what I do and look what you do. I mean, if your friends really knew what you did, if the pastor really knew what you did, he wouldn't think you were very spiritual, would he? And we're competing with one another. Men and women will compete for children's affection in the home as well. Maybe there's a child who has a personality that maybe you get along with a little bit better. And so you'll try to pit that child against the other parent or against another child or kind of favor one child because that's kind of your kid and that's the other one's kid. And we're competing with each other and we go head to head with this and it's wrong. That's not what we're supposed to do as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers. The Bible says that we are two that are becoming one. See, God's math is one plus one equals one. That's God's math. We think, oh, I'm, I'm going to do things my way. She's going to do things her way. And, you know, this, we'll, we'll just hope that it all works out. And we'll stay together as long as we can agree and like each other and be attracted to one another and have special feelings for one another. And the moment those things are gone, well, I'm out because, you know, that's not uh, how it goes. Because I want what I want. And we don't consider the fact that, okay, I'm not supposed to compete with this person. I'm actually supposed to complete this person because we're equal in importance and complementary in roles so we need to understand the roles that God has given us in marriage and let's go ahead and look in the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter and let's see what the Apostle Paul directed by the Holy Spirit was written what was directed to write about marriage <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 <clears throat> says this and boy this is a fun one Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want you to kind of bookmark that there. If you have one of those bookmarky things in your Bible or grab a piece of paper or whatever. And, and just kind of stay there because we're going to go back and we're going to reference this a few more times throughout the course of this teaching this morning. <clears throat> because first of all, we need to understand that what our roles are. And, and, and how I'm going to do this is I'm going to uh, address the women and the roles that God has set for them, and then we're going to address the men and the roles that God has set for them. So I want us to understand this, and, and I want you to not shut me off, maybe because you, you hear something you don't like or something that 
you don't agree with because I'm not preaching Derek's ideas, I'm not teaching Derek's thoughts or Derek's values, I'm teaching God's values, and I want us to kind of soften our heart in that area to be able to say, okay, not what I want, not what society has tried to dictate, not what the media says popular, but okay, I'm going to say, God, what do you want? What are the roles for me as a husband, me as a man? What are, me, what are roles for me as a wife, me as a woman? Okay, so let's make sure that we understand that before we go any further. So here's basically a summary of Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33, and I'm going to let you write this down. This is your next point to write down that our roles, according to God's design, are submission and sacrifice with love. Okay, that's kind of a summary that I came up with to help you understand what our roles are, and that applies to both. Our roles, according to God's design, are submission and sacrifice with love. And as we look at the role of the wife, we see something here that immediately jumps out at us that rubs us a little bit the wrong way because it's almost like a dirty word where it says, wives submit to their husband. And we go, "Mm mm-mm, I don't think so. And we look at that and we see that word and we don't like it because we hear the word submission and we automatically think that it's a dirty word. We think, oh, this, this is not a good thing, submission. Oh, this is chauvinistic talk. You know, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't biblical. It is because submission is not a dirty word. Submission is actually the highest compliment of trust that you can give to someone. Submission is actually the highest compliment of trust. When you submit to someone else and you say, okay, I am recognizing authority I am recognizing something God has put into place. I'm recognizing authority, and I'm saying, okay, I trust you. And that's really what submission is. It's saying, I trust you. So I want us to understand that first and foremost. But see, here's the thing is, is that to submit to someone, you have to recognize authority. You have to recognize authority. So let's look. Ephesians 5 and 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. So we see that God has called men to be leaders in their home. And if you ask most wives today, if their husbands are not stepping up and being the leader of their home, they really want them to. I want you to lead because how many times do we see the stereotypical circumstance where the wife is the one that's plugged in to the relationship with the Lord. She's kind of leading the home spiritually, having to wake the husband up, drag him to church. And we see that scenario play out over and over again in culture and in our society. And folks, that is not God's design. God wants men to lead their homes in every facet. He wants us to be the spiritual head and leaders of our families. Amen, somebody. And a lot of times wives are like, I want you to be that. And they'll tell their husbands that, I want you to lead, I want you to do this. But a lot of times men will step out of those roles and and they will just, uh, maybe they're intimidated by it. Or maybe church has gotten to the place where they don't feel like it's really for them because maybe they feel like there's so many things that are geared towards women in church. And men feel very uncomfortable in church. And they don't feel like, you know, it's, it's for me. So therefore they associate church with God so they don't feel like God is really for them. Me and God are cool. I do the church thing every now and then and it makes me feel better about my myself and I'm not really leading and taking responsibility. We'll talk a little bit later about that. I got to stay on topic. But for wives to submit to their husbands, wives need to recognize that authority that God put that authority in place and he put it in place for a reason because God made man the head of the home, also as the head Christ said is to his body. And we have to understand that, not competing but completing. Okay? Not competing, not better than, but complementary. Something that's actually working together. And here's what we have to understand about authority. 
all authority is delegated. All authority is delegated authority. Every single bit of it. See, the thing is, is that you can only operate in delegated authority when you yourself are submitted to authority. For example, uh, if, if you take a police officer who has no authority on their own, but yet it's been delegated to them, when they approach you with a badge and a gun, and when they approach you with their police car, and when they approach you with their ticket book that they have that has the official seal of the state or whatever it has to have on there to be official, and they write you a ticket, you take that seriously. Why? Because they have authority. But guess what? If that officer is in his street clothes, he doesn't have his badge, he had grabbed one of those little uh, notebooks from home, and you're speeding or you run a stop sign, and he pulls up next to you and goes, Hey, buddy, pull over! You're going to go, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Pull over. And he, if he convinces you to pull over and he pulls out his, 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 his uh, you know, post-it notes and he says, you were speeding, writing you a ticket. Well, where's your badge? Where's your identification? Where, where, where's your authority? You would go, you'd take that post-it note and wad it up and throw it away. You see, even though when he is submitted to his authority and he's operating within the parameters that says, here's the tools you have to have, here's the identification you have to have, and when you have those things, all of a sudden you have authority as to where if you're simply operating on your own authority, it's not going to be there. Just like if a police officer were to, I don't know, when I, one day get the idea to go rob a bank, guess what? His authority would be removed. Wouldn't have it anymore. Why? I'm a police officer. Yeah, but you operated outside the parameters of your authority. You don't have authority when you do that. So understand something about submission. If the government requires us to, I don't know, send our, our wives into prostitution in order to pay taxes, um, we would never do that. But the government's the authority, yes, but they're operating outside of God's authority. Amen, somebody. The government has authority, but it's given from God. And when they operate outside of the parameters of that authority, guess what? I'm not going to follow that. Just because the government tells me I have to do that, I'm not going to do that. That's not what God says. This is something that would violate the authority that they were entrusted with and given. Here's the thing. The same is to be said of mutual submission in the roles of marriage. Women, you do not have to submit to an abusive husband. You do not have to submit to an abusive man, and, and neither do men have to submit to abusive women. Here's the thing. God doesn't expect us to submit to situations that will cause us to violate God's desires for us in His Word. If your spouse is doing something illegal, or if they're stealing at work, and, and, God wants you, and, and your husband or your wife wants you to be quiet about it or participate in it, that doesn't mean you submit. That's operating outside of the parameters of the authority that they were given. You understand that? Just like my children the other night... I got new furniture downstairs, and it is awesome, and I love it. <clears throat> I got like this whole big recliner couch thing, and then I got a separate recliner, and, and it's in my downstairs den area with my media room, and I got my surround sound, and got, oh man, it, it's, it's great. Can't wait to go back. <laughs> but here's the thing. I sent my kids down, and I told them when we got this furniture, here's the rules. Don't you be playing on daddy's recliner, okay? Don't you understand something? We're not going to get on there and climb around. We're not going to play. All this. This is, this, we're going to take care of our stuff and respect our stuff. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, my wife and I were upstairs, and then I hear something. Boom. 
What in the world was that? There are, I have three children, and they're all under the age of eight, so there are noises in our house. It takes someone crying, screaming, or multiple noises for me to actually move. So I wasn't concerned with the first boom. And then I hear it again. Boom. 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 And I'm going, whoa, something's going on. So I get it. i got to go check it out. What's going on? My kids are on my brand new recliner, and they figured out that they accidentally tumped it over once, and then it became a game. How many times can we get on there and tump it over? So they're like, whoa, whoa, boom. And they were falling back in my recliner. And I look at my son, who is eight. He's the oldest. And then his twin sisters that are six. I sat them all down, and I said, what's going on? I already set you guys down, and I told you what the deal is. My son said, well, Leah told me to do it. <laughs> I said, say what? Leah told me to do it. She told you to do it. Really? Okay, but what did I tell you? Because I'm the dad. I'm the authority figure. What did I tell you? To not to. <laughs> yeah, I told you to not to. <laughs> and you did to. Because he said, but she told me to. I only did it because she told me to. I said, Josiah, just because she told you to do that doesn't mean you do it because I'm the one that's in charge here. And I told you what to do. And now all three of you are getting in trouble. All three of you are going to have to pay the price of your disobedience. And they did. But guess what? It's the same scenario that we see today in marriages. God the Father has given us parameters. He has given us boundaries. He has given us things that are to protect us, to keep us safe, that are best for us. And we say, well, well, yeah, but... No, this is the way God set it up. And when we are asked to do something that's outside of that realm or something is happening that's outside that realm, that authority is no longer present. Okay? Your six-year-old child cannot order you around play on the recliner when dad said no. Right? We get that? Here's the thing. Submission as a wife is you being able to follow the lead of your husband by trusting him. That's what submission is. Being able to follow his lead by trusting him. Not undermining him, not slandering him with your friends, not nagging him to anger or pushing his buttons because you know how to. That's not submission. That's the opposite of submission. And so what I want to do is I want to help you understand what submission does not mean and what it does mean. And you can write these down if you would like. What submission does not mean is that a husband is in ultimate authority. No, he only has authority because of God, right? And he has to submit to God. He has to submit to the Lord. So we have to understand that just because he says or does something doesn't mean you are trapped. Husband is not an ultimate authority. God is an ultimate authority. Second thing, a wife um, does not have independent thoughts. That's not what submission means. Submission does not mean that a wife ha has no say-so, has no independent thoughts on her own, and the husband is just a genius, and she's just a goofball. That's not what that means. That's not what submission means. Because a wife should have thoughts that are independent of herself because it's two that are becoming one, right? Not just the husband calling all the shots. Submission does not mean that a wife doesn't seek to influence her husband. No, 
that's part of this two becoming one thing. You should try to influence your husband. Give him ideas and thoughts and suggestions and help compliment him as he should the wife. And we should help one another to sharpen one another and to grow. We talked about that a lot last week. Fourth thing, what submission does not mean is that a wife must obey her husband's command to sin. And we kind of went over that earlier. What submission does not mean is that a wife is less intelligent or competent than her husband. That's, that's not what submission means, that somehow a wife is not as smart as the man or, or, or that he's somehow superior in, in intelligence. No, that's not what that means. So we need to understand what submission is not. It means that he's the leader and that he takes responsibility for what happens in the home. That's what being a man means. That's what a wife submitting to that and trusting him and growing in that trust. And let me tell you, the more that we as husbands love our wives like Christ loves the church, the easier it's going to be for them to submit and follow our lead. Amen, somebody. Amen. Submission, what it does mean is that a husband and wife are equal with complementary roles, not competitive, Okay. What it does mean is that wives are to submit like Jesus did in Gethsemane. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, because I and my Father are one. But yet we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to be arrested. And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Even though we're in perfect unison, we're in perfect unity, Jesus in his moment of humanity before his arrest said, if there's another way... But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see the unity of the Godhead, and then you see how Christ says, no, I'm going to do what I was brought here to do. <clears throat> the Bible said he could have called 10,000 angels, could have done all kinds of things. But no, he said, no, this is the way that this has to be because of my love. So I'm going to trust and I'm going to submit. So that's how that works. The third one, that what submission does mean is that husbands are to lovingly lead like Jesus does the church. So here's the thing. Jesus died for the church. Jesus gave everything for the church. And so it makes it easier for the wife to trust the husband. Fourth thing, a, a single woman should only marry a man that she can follow. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Listen, only marry a man that you can follow. Only marry a man that you can follow. That means this. Is he wise? Is he considerate? Or is he immature? Are you having to be his mother instead of his mate? The Bible says that a man is to leave his mother and father. Not that the wife is to become a replacement for his mother. Is he mature? Does he, is he wise? Is he considerate? Could you trust him and follow him? Fifth thing that submission does mean is that Christian marriage shows the unity of the Trinity and the gospel. And we kind of covered that a little bit about how it glorifies God when we are in unity, in submission, um, in mutual submission with one another, growing together, the two becoming one. And here's the thing. Now we're going to talk to the men, and, and we're going to look at what he said to the men in Ephesians uh, 5 and 25. He said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Okay? He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. He said, nobody ever hated his own body, but you nourish it, you take care of it. Okay? So we need to make sure that we love our wives 
as we love ourselves, as we take care of ourselves, take care of our, in other words, we need to consider her, we need to take care of her, we need to protect her, we need to bring security for her, because only men who take responsibility should be married. Only men who take responsibility should be married, because Christ is our example of how we're supposed to love our wives. And guess what Christ does? He takes responsibility for the church. Was it his sin? No. It was my sin. It was your sin. But Christ takes responsibility for something that wasn't his. Why? Because he's committed to us and he loves us. Amen. And that's the type of commitment and the type of love we're supposed to have for our wives. That type of sacrificial love that is willing to lay down our lives for our spouse. And here's the thing, folks. Paul is saying here that if men can't take responsibility for themselves, don't involve a woman and God forbid children. That we need to take responsibilities for ourselves. He said, you love your wife like you love your own body. You need to take care of yourself. So here's the thing. Don't get married so you will grow up. Grow up and then get married. Take responsibility for some areas in your life. Take responsibility to be someone who is worth following. Don't just throw around a title or, oh, pastor said that I have authority, so I'm just going to do things like, here's my club, I'm going to beat you over the head, take you back to my cave. And, and, and we, we want to throw that around like that's going to actually make her love us more or want to submit and follow us and trust us, and it's not. We have to be someone that's worth following. Amen? Yeah. You know, in, in, in Timothy, where, where Paul tells young Timothy, who's a, a young pastor, Paul tells him, he says, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're a young pastor. Don't let them despise your youth. And I used to say it like this, that don't give them a reason. Don't give them a reason to despise your youth. Take care of your business. Here's the thing. Grow up and then get married. If you can't keep a steady job, if you can't pay your bills and take care of yourself, don't get married. Because now you're having to take care of someone else. If you can't stop looking at other women or pornography... Don't get married. You're not ready. If you can't build a friendship with a woman without trying to get her in bed, don't get married. You aren't ready. You're still playing like you're an immature, irresponsible little boy that isn't ready to take care of a woman and children. Grow up and then get married. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of growing for both of you to do together. But make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you have made some type of responsible moves in your life that are going to help bring security with that woman before you marry her because Christ loved us so much that he was willing to take responsibility for our sin, something that he took upon himself. Christ loves the church selflessly, okay? He's not thinking of, 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 of just only himself. No, he loves the church selflessly. Christ served the church Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And then we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Here's the thing. He served mankind, and husbands are to submit to God's will for their spouse by serving them selflessly. Amen, somebody. You see here in Ephesians 5 and 33 where it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want you to, to, to go to the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and let's read the first three verses there. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with promise, that it may, may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So he goes then, after talking about the role of the husband and the wife, and he talks to the children. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. Children's role in the eyes of God is to obey both parents. The role of the child is not the CEO of the family that gets to decide what we do, how we spend our time, or where we go to church. Here's the thing. we got to get over this honey-boo-boo complex with children that are running the show. That we want to submit to our child's need because we're afraid our child won't like God or our child won't like us. Or this thing where the, the, the child understands that it can go to one parent and get something else and go to the other parent and get something different and they can put the parents against one another. They need to see unity in the home. They need to see the husband and the wife complimenting one another, not competing. There's something real popular that really bothers me that, that I just want to bring up as well with, with this, with children obeying their parents and with men leading the home. Men, I want you to take the role, and God wants you to take the role in the home to lead. When it comes to where you go to church, don't let your children make that decision for you. You make that decision together with your spouse in unity. Too many people want to go looking for a church and they want to say, well, this church meets my needs. This church has what I want. They have something for my children. And that's good. And we want to have good things for our children. We want to have the best things for our children. But they don't get to decide where we're going to plant and grow spiritually and connect with the family of God. We get to decide that as the adults. And we need to take that role. Maybe even if you were in a church that didn't have a children's ministry, you, that, what if God's calling you to start that? Maybe there's a need there that God wants you to start. Not that we just uproot just because they don't have the amenity that I like anymore. Church is not about us finding the amenities we like and allowing our children to determine where we go to church. Children obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. They don't need to see that, 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 that one child is disrespecting the wife and that the other child is, is, is undermining the authority of their father. They need to see unity between the husband and the wife because that's going to bring them security. It's going to show them their picture of God because it's an act of demonstration of the unity between... Of the, of the Godhead, of our unity with God, and our unity as a husband and wife together, that we make decisions, and we don't let our kids run the home because they are not the CEO. Because when we're out of God's order, guess what happens? There's chaos. There's chaos. Chaos abounds. You are putting together a formula for chaos. Amen, somebody? Because when we step outside of that authority... Chaos abounds. Chaos abounds when we don't understand our roles and walk in that authority and that submission together, submitting to God, submitting to one another in love, as Ephesians 5 and 21 says. And when we don't understand that, we don't operate in those roles and we're going to compete. We're going to butt heads. We're going to cause a bunch of problems in our home that could be avoided. And, and we buy into this junk that the world wants to shove down our throats and say, oh, this is what you go through when you're married. This is what everybody does because the, the statistics say this. The statistics say that. Why don't us as men and women of God, understanding God's desire for marriage and God's desire for our family and God's desire for our home, why don't we be the people who defy the statistics? Why don't we stand up and become the ones that are leading the charge instead of following the trends? 
Why don't we not become another number for another poll for some news reporter to tell about how bad things are? And oh, well, when you're, when you're married this long, you've got to deal with all this. When you're married this long, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. And everybody's got to go through this. And everybody does this. And everybody does that. Why don't we just understand God's roles for us and grow confident in what God said? And then we'll grow more confident with one another. Sure, we're going to go through things, but we know where our source is and we don't give up when it gets hard. Sure, we're going to go through difficult times where we don't get along and we disagree and we may have lost that love and feeling and now it's gone, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. There may be those times where you go through those things, but you don't quit. You don't give up because you say, my marriage is going to be founded on the rock of Christ Jesus and I'm going to allow him to be at the very centerpiece of my life and he's going to be the one that's going to help me endure and grow through any hardship. He's going to be the one that's going to help me fall more in love with my husband or more in love with my wife because I'm I'm understanding my role. I'm understanding my purpose. I'm understanding God's design. And I want my marriage to bring glory to God. I want people to be able to look at my marriage and see the glory of God. Even when I go through trials, even when I go through bad times, and everybody knows it. Oh, everybody pretends like they don't know it because everybody wants to be fakey, fakey. But they know things is going on. Maybe some of your close friends know. Maybe other people know. And you're like, oh, who knows? Everybody goes through stuff, but where do we run when we go through trials? Amen? Oh, everybody knows. Everybody's aware. Oh, and sometimes we feel hyper-aware, and maybe we're masking it so well, or we think we're masking things so well, or whatever the case may be. But here's the thing, folks. Let our marriages bring glory to God, even in our trials. Because when we come out on the other side, I can stand and say, I thought it was over. I thought that it wasn't, we weren't going to make it. I thought that there was no way we were going to get through this. But God. But God. But God. Because my marriage is founded on the rock of Christ Jesus, and my marriage is going to bring glory to God through the good things that happen in my marriage and the bad things that happen. It's going to bring glory to God because we were created to bring glory to God. We were put together, the two becoming one, to bring glory to God. Amen. It brings glory to God. That's what you and I are called to do. That's why we're not supposed to give up. That's, that's why we're not supposed to quit. Because we're together. Because God gets the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It models for us the heart of God. It models for us the unity that he has with us through Christ Jesus, that, that, that these two people are now become one, that we're now connected to the Father through Jesus. We see how it glorifies God. We understand God's love and compassion, and we grow more like Christ, and it brings God's peace, and it brings God's order in our homes. It brings the peace of God that passes our understanding, that guards our hearts and guards our minds. When we say, okay, God, I want to be in the role you've created for me as a husband, I want to be in the role you've created for me as a wife. And we're going to do this together. The two becoming one. I want to give you a few ways to evaluate as, as we're wrapping up this morning. I hope that this has helped you. I hope it's challenged you, encouraged you, um, helped you maybe to see some things that we can grow in together. And I want to give you some ways to help evaluate that. And for you as a husband and wife to discuss this in a home. Or if you're a single person, these will be also be some great things uh, for you to look at and evaluate if you have a desire to get married. And, and if you're a single person and, and, and you have no desire to get married, then and maybe you could 
pray for married couples or you could understand the heart of God through this or you could actually help a friend that is married um, to understand some of these things. So don't just write yourself off because you may be a young person or you may be widowed or you, whatever the case may be. You know, uh, God's word is, 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 is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path and it can be used to help others as well as help us. Amen? So here's the thing. Let's evaluate and discuss these roles in the home this week. The first thing is to look to God's word and discuss those things together. Uh, you can use, uh, in, in First Peter, you can use the first few chapters in the book of Genesis. You can use Ephesians 5 if you want to read that again as well um, and discuss those things together. What are our roles? What does God say our roles are? And let's talk about those things together. The second thing is use great questionnaire resources. I found a really good one at Focus on the Family. Um, they have a couple checkup. Uh, it even has things for dating or engaged couples if you want to check that out. Um, that, that would be a really good one um, if you're in the, those situations as well. That's uh, the website there, focusonthefamily.com, and that's the couple checkup you need to look up. I think that's a really good one. Third thing, utilize local resources for marriage advice and, 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 and marriage resources that we have here in Sheboygan County, like Great Marriages. Um, and there's their website there. It's, uh, it's, it's great-marriages.org. Um, and you've probably seen the, seen the billboards and things like that as well. And maybe some of you have even been there. Um, but I, I think that's a great organization for us to utilize since it's right here in our area. Fourth thing is that this week I want you to continue to pray for one another before bed. And I want you to discuss your roles in marriage. How do you talk to one another? How do you, how do you treat one another? Does it line up with Ephesians 5? And I want you to pray together and discuss those things this week in... Humility. Oh, humility. That's how we're going to have this discussion. Oh, okay. Because I thought that I was going to get to say, well, Pastor told me that I could talk to you and tell you what your problem is. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> if you do that, and you're calling me a liar because I didn't say that, what I said is that we talk about these things in humility. And what we do with the attitude and a heart of humility is that we're preferring the other. We're not going to come at one another with a bunch of accusations. We're not going to allow this to turn into another heated debate. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture together and submit our ideas. That's what humility is. It's submitting our ideas, submitting our hearts, submitting our emotions, submitting our, our, our desire to be right. Right? Right. <laughs> our desire to be right. So saying, okay, I'm willing to say, God, what you want, not what I want. Help me to see what you have for me and how that applies in my marriage and my life. So I want you to do it together, and I believe God's going to do some great things. I heard some awesome testimonies from our Elements videos. Um, I, I actually got three different emails uh, just this past week from the Elements uh, video and the challenge that I issued last week that people were saying, man, we weren't even talking. Um, we started doing what you said, uh, reading Ephesians together and talking about it, and it's opened up a whole new uh, dialogue in our relationship. And I'm like, well, praise God. That's awesome. That's great. And some people told me, you know, that they were uh, going through issues, things that they didn't know what they were going to do, and they began to read that together, and they began to find answers together as they began to talk and read God's Word. And you know what? I'm sitting here going, wow, all I really told you guys to do was read the Bible together. How powerful is that? How simple is that? Not everything has to be so complicated. Sometimes we, we, we undervalue the beauty of simplicity and we undervalue the, the simple things. Wow, we actually took time and read the Bible together and talked. Oh, that's not going to work. And then it worked. Wow, it's amazing what we do when we come together and we grow in God's Word. 
Because we automatically think that's too simple. But when we do this together, when we move forward in humility, it's going to help us. And we have those Elements videos. They're available every Wednesday. Uh, they're going to come out, and they're available, of course, all throughout the week. And the first two are still on there, and they have study notes with them. So you can actually take that study a little further. They're on the website uh, under the resources section, or we put them on Facebook, too, uh, every Wednesday as well. So you can go to the website, watch those. They're only like four or five minutes long, and then they have a little PDF you can download, and, and you can do the study notes together and, and go, go over that together as a couple. Ask some pretty pointed questions and uh, some loaded questions, and that's purposefully uh, that we've done that. And I want it to help you to have a discussion and grow together because I believe as we say, I, I, I want a new marriage, that we're saying, God, I want this new life that you've given me. I want my marriage to be new and to be reflective of you and to ultimately bring you glory. Amen, somebody. Would you stand up with me this morning? We're going to have prayer here in just a moment um, down at the front. If you came in here with any type of need, any situation, whatever you may need, someone just to agree with you about, whether it's marriage related or not, it doesn't really matter. We, we love you. We care about you. We want to pray for you. We want to be there for you. And uh, we, we, we just want to uh, love on you, just whatever's going on in your life. And uh, so there will be people up here. Also, if you came in this place today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you haven't given him the seat of your heart. He's not sitting on the throne of your heart. You say, I need to give my life to him. We would love to pray with you today to be able to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That will be the single most important decision that you will ever make. And we would love to help lead you in that. So we're going to have people available uh, down here uh, in just a moment to pray with you. And uh, I just believe that God is doing great things in marriages. I believe that he's doing great things at Word of Grace and great things in, in our homes and in our lives. And we're just going to continue to trust him and not just be hearers of this word, but be doers. Amen? Amen. Number 6 and 24 says this. It says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.